Good morning. Let me just make one more uh, little plug for the coming to the Lees sometime this afternoon after church. There is a ton of stuff there, and you can have it for free. Just, you know, bring boxes, bring bags. You could take enough stuff to take it to your house, and next week, have a yard sale, and just make a ton of money. So, so we offer that to you. So today is Palm Sunday, uh, as Tom said, the beginning of, of Holy Week. I want to, I wanna, it's, it's holy because God is holy, and we, we see God revealed in many ways throughout this week, but it's also uh, a week of, of love, and I think that's where we're going to focus this week. This is a time when we reflect on the most sacred week in human history, a week uh, that begins with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where the crowd shout, what we saw demonstrated, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They're welcoming Jesus as their Messiah, their King, their Deliverer. But as the week continues, a problem arises. The problem is that they expect Jesus to come and to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. But Jesus has come to deliver them from their sin. So the week doesn't go like the crowd or even like the disciples expect. But Jesus knows what lies ahead. And every step He takes moves Him to His ultimate sacrifice. We see it in His his final meal with His apostles. It takes place this week. Where He institutes the Lord's Supper. Where we commemorate uh, with communion, which Jesus points to and, and, and will be a, a continual commemoration of His sacrificial death for our sin. We see it this week in His agony as He anticipates the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweats drops of blood and He prays, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup, the cup of the cross, let it, let it pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see it in his high priestly prayer, knowing his time on earth is short. He prayed for the, for the perseverance and the unity of his, of his disciples, his disciples then and, and his disciples now. We see it in his betrayal by his, his friend Judas and his arrest by Roman soldiers in his trials before Annas, Caiaphas, and Pilate. Where as the prophet Isaiah writes, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And we see it in its climax, in his crucifixion and his death. Where in less than a week, from Palm Sunday, the shouts of, of the crowd change from blessed is He to uh, crucify Him. On the cross, Jesus willingly and sacrificially endured the wrath of God. He willingly and sacrificially gave His life as a, a ransom for many. Dying in our place, taking on our sin, and receiving the punishment, not that He deserved, but that we deserved. On Good Friday of Holy Week, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Now, Friday isn't the end of 
Holy Week, we know and we rejoice that that Sunday's coming, right? But we'll save Sunday, the the resurrection for next week, for Easter Sunday. Today we're going to focus on the cross. Not so much on the event of the crucifixion, although we'll certainly touch on that. But as I thought and I prayed about this week, especially the crucifixion, the thing that kept coming to my mind was not the question of uh, what, did, what Jesus did, but why did He do it? What motivated Him to enter this week on the back of a donkey and continue moving forward, enduring betrayal and beatings and mockings and death? What motivated Him to go to the cross and give His life as a sacrifice for sinners? And I believe there's one word, we've mentioned it, it's in the title, that summarizes His motivation. And the word is love. Jesus was motivated by His love, I believe, for three things. I'll mention the first two briefly. I want us to spend the bulk of our time on the third love. Because it's this love that I believe uh, should and can and must transform our lives it's the love that paul speaks of in second corinthians five fourteen, when he says for the love of christ controls or compels us it's the love that motivated jesus and in turn should motivate and control and compel us to be like jesus so hold on and we'll get to this love shortly but first let me mention the other two loves we begin with uh, jesus's love for god's glory that God would be exalted. Jesus' desire, His love, was that God would be exalted, that God would be lifted up, that God would be seen as great. Now, even though this isn't in our focus for today, this is, uh, in many ways, Christ's ultimate motivation. Just as the, the chief end of man is to glorify God, the chief end of God is to glorify God. The chief end of the, per, the universe is to glorify God. And the Gospels make it clear that Jesus was always, in all things, motivated by His love for God's glory. In John chapter 17, just prior to His betrayal and arrest, knowing the crucifixion is before Him, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that, that the Son may glorify You. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I have had with you before the world existed. A lot of glory going on here. Only hours before the crucifixion, Jesus prays for the, for the glory of God, for His glory, for the glory of the Son of God, and for the glory of God the Father. Glory uh, uh, would come to the Son and the Father when Jesus the Son accomplished the work that God the Father had given Him. And that work culminated in His death on the cross, in His obediently going to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus knew that the crucifixion would glorify God. And so first, Jesus' love for God's glory motivated Him to this ultimate sacrifice. To give His life as a ransom for you and I. Now the second motivation relates to Jesus Himself. Besides God's glory, the Bible teaches that Jesus was motivated by His love for His joy. 
the author of Hebrews, in calling us to run with endurance this race of faith set before us, says we are to be motivated by Christ's example, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. That even sounds a little weird. The joy, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the the shame of the cross because He knew there was joy to come. Joy that would come when God was glorified. Joy that would come when God's people were were reconciled to Him. Jesus knew that, that it was only through the cross that God's plan of salvation could be accomplished. And the joy that God's glory and our salvation, our reconciliation to God would would bring motivated Jesus to endure the cross. Now the fact that Jesus was motivated by uh, uh, joy, the joy He would receive, and that, that His joy would come when people were reconciled to God gives us a hint a little bit of a a clue to his third motivation, to his third love. This is the motivation that I want to spend the rest of our time looking at. Why did Jesus continue down that road? That road that led to Golgotha, to death on a cross. That road that, that led to receiving the wrath of God for our sins. Yes, he was motivated by his love for God's glory and his joy, but he was also motivated by his love for God's people. Now, I say God's people, not to exclude others. Praise the Lord, it's true that God was motivated by His love for all people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. But there's a a deeper love for those who would trust in Him. And this love motivated Christ. Paul expresses this in Galatians 2, chapter 20. He writes, I've been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Who loved me and gave Himself for me. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has a deep love for those who put their faith in Him. Those who no longer live for themselves, but live for Him. Those who by faith in Him. Live by faith in Him. And we'll talk more about that a little later. Now I want us to, what I want us to see is this love for God's people that motivated Jesus to give Himself for us to endure the pain and the suffering and even the wrath of God to die in our place for our sins. And, and, I, want, and I want you, if you're a child of God today, if you're not, maybe there's another message here for you. As we walk through this, maybe, maybe you'll be jealous. Maybe there'll be a jealousy welling up. I want to be loved by God like that. But for you, child of God, those who've trusted in Christ, I want you to see the depths of Christ's sacrificial love for you. I want you to see this love for, for two reasons. First, and, and this might be obvious, as we see Christ's love for us, it increases our love for Him, right? As we ponder the depths of of what Christ endured for us, we're motivated to give our lives fully and completely to the One who loves us like no other. 
His love surpasses the the love of all, the love of father and mother and spouse. So first, knowing Christ's love for us enables us to grow in love with Him. And second, and this might not be so obvious, so this is what I'm going to spend the bulk of our time on. I want us to see and know and believe and, and even experience the depth of Christ's love for us Because it's only when we truly know that Christ loves us that we can love in the way God has designed us and commanded us to. That's my uh, the first sub point here. Jesus' love for God's people, for Christians, is essential for our love. Knowing and trusting in the love Christ has for you is essential. For your ability to love God and to love others the way God has called you to. Two weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about how we as Christians are not bound by the Old Testament law of Moses. But instead, we're bound by a higher and a greater law. And we called that law the law of love. Jesus expresses this law in John chapter 13 when he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are the disciples of Jesus Christ. We, the church, the body of Christ, are commanded by Christ to love one another. And not not a simple, not a casual kind of love, but a deep and abiding love. We're commanded to love with the love of Christ. With the same love that Christ has loved us. With the same love that held Him on the back of that donkey as He rode into Jerusalem. With the same love that enabled Him to endure beating and mocking. Betrayal. With the same love that kept Him on that cross on Good Friday. That's the kind of love we're to have for one another. And it's by this Christ-like love that all people will know that we're His disciples. That's what Jesus says. So if we're going to flourish as a church, if we're going to grow as a people, as a church, we must be convinced of and committed to a deep and abiding love for one another. And the only way we can do that is by first knowing and experiencing the love of Christ in our lives. We must believe and understand just how deeply, how, how much Christ has loved us. Trusting that you're loved by Christ enables and empowers you to love like Christ. Trusting that Christ loves you enables you to love. The Apostle John beginning in 1 John 4.15, explains it this way. He says, Whoever confesses that, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in, in Him and He in God. John is, is talking to God's people. Those who confess Christ. Those who've trusted in Christ. Those who've been saved by grace through faith. Those who have the Spirit of God abiding in them. And he says, so we have come to know, this is a knowledge thing, the Bible over and over it stresses how, how we must know something for it to, to it, it, it comes into our heart, our head, and then it penetrates our heart. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. 
John was convinced of the, John the Beloved was convinced of Christ's love for him. This is crucial. This is what we're aiming for. To know and believe that the love God has for us. And we can know and we can believe that God loves us because God is love, uh, John goes on to say. And whoever abides in, in God and God abides in him. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. When we abide in, in a loving God, when we have a, a relationship with God who is love, we are abiding in His love. Love dwells in us and can be demonstrated through us. And we can be secure of this loving relationship we have with God. How? By this is love perfected within us so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in the world. When we know and and when we believe God's love for us and that Christ died for us and that we will not be judged based on our sin but based on the righteousness of Christ, we have a confidence for that day of judgment and therefore there is no fear in love. But perfect perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you've given your life to Christ, then you're abiding in the love of God. And there's no fear. There's no fear in this love. You have no reason to fear. Your eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's love for you, you will not experience eternal punishment. Your eternal life is secure. And now, therefore, in this life, you're free from fear And you're free to love with the love of Christ. So in conclusion, John writes, we love because He first loved us. The love that God has for us is the motivation and the foundation of becoming loving people. It's when we truly believe that God loves us that we can grow in our love for Him and for one another, and for those in the world who continue to need His love. It's when we trust in God's love for us that we're enabled to fulfill this law of love that we talked about. So, do you truly believe that God loves you? Are you secure in His love? Do you have a deep abiding security in the love of God, knowing you've escaped eternal punishment and have been given instead eternal life? Knowing that you have nothing to fear and therefore you can stop wasting your life worrying about yourself and spend your time loving others with the love that God has first loved you with? Are you convinced of God's love for you? Because if you are, then you will be a loving person. You'll seek to fulfill the new commandment and love others like Christ has loved you. You'll demonstrate sacrificial love in your family, with your friends, uh, in your church, at your office. You'll be known as someone who gives more than they receive, who helps when there are needs, who is reliable and trustworthy, who cares about others. Is this how, is this how you're known? If the answer is yes, then then praise the Lord. But I'm afraid for many of us, uh, myself included, we fall very short when it comes to fulfilling the law of love, when it comes to loving like Jesus loves. 
And what that says to me is that that we're not truly convinced. We're not living in God's love for us. We're not truly convinced or, or we don't even think about very often I mean, this should be uh, daily thoughts, daily meditations on the love Christ has for you, on the sacrificial love Christ has for you. And so I want to help us see and and even experience Jesus' love for us, for you and, and for me. And we're very fortunate because Jesus' love for God's people, for you, is explained in God's Word. God, God reveals Himself, and as He reveals Himself in His Word, He reveals His love. How do we know God loves us? I can think of no clearer answer than the one given by the the famous children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know that God, that Jesus loves us because the Bible tells us of His love. It teaches us that He loves us and it describes His loving actions for us. The New and the Old Testaments are filled with passages that teach and show the love of Christ. We've seen some already, but I want to take a, take a moment and look at several others. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, the Apostle writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. There it is, your beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's clear instruction here for us, isn't there? We are the beloved children of God. And as such, we are to imitate our Father. We're to look at our Father with admiration and say, I want to be just like my dad. And how are we to be like our Father? By walking in love, by living out this law of love in our lives, by loving God and loving people. And who is our example? Who are we to follow? Who's the greatest example ever of love? Jesus Christ. And the culmination of of Jesus' example of love is found in His death on the cross. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Christ did not give up some stuff for us. He didn't donate to our yard sale his leftovers. He didn't just give even of his time and his talents and his treasures. Christ gave himself. On the cross, Christ sacrificed himself for us. He died in our place. He gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Christ's love for us caused him to give himself up for us. And in so doing, He became, uh, Paul says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ died in our place. He died that you wouldn't have to die, that I wouldn't have to die. He gave His life for us. He paid a debt He didn't owe. He experienced the wrath of God that we deserved. He took on our sin. He took on the wrath of God. God then accepted the death of Christ as a sacrificial offering, a fragrant offering for your sins, for my sins. And it pleased God. And Christ did this for you and for me. Christ's love was not ordinary love. You know, we have so many uh, ways we use the word love. It becomes very confusing, right? We love pizza and we love our wife. It's a toss-up. I don't know. 
right? But Christ didn't love us with some ordinary love. He gave Himself up for us. Scripture says He didn't love us in an ordinary way. Like we we tend to experience love. It, it was not, I see something admirable. I see something beautiful in you, therefore I love you. It was sacrificial love. It was love for those who had nothing of value, nothing of beauty to offer. As we've seen in our study in Romans, Romans chapter 5. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ laid down His life. He gave Himself up for us when we were a sinful, rebellious people. Do you understand that? And more importantly, do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the depth of Christ's sacrificial love for you? I think that we sometimes say yes. Yeah, I I feel it. I got it. We don't really know what we're saying. We've heard many, many times, many many of us since we were children, Jesus loves you. Or, Or Jesus died for you. We've heard it so many times that it's become common. It's lost its impact. We don't stop to consider just how great His love is for us. We're not moved by His amazing and spectacular sacrificial love. I know that's true for me. I forget. I need to be reminded again and again. And so I want to remind us this morning. I want to help us see and even feel, I hope and I pray, uh, the spectacular sacrificial love that Jesus has for you. And to do that, I want us to first look at and be amazed by a lesser sacrificial love. A sacrificial love, but as we'll see, a lesser sacrificial love. Then we compare, can compare this, this lesser sacrificial love that will amaze us, I believe. And then we can compare it to the love of Christ explained in God's Word to see and to feel the great wonder of Christ's love. Okay, so we begin with, a, this is a true story. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. It's the story of a group of prisoners, prisoners of war during the Second World War, who were made to do hard labor in a prison camp. Each had a, a shovel and would dig all day. And when they returned to camp in the evening, they, they would give back their shovels. One evening, 20 prisoners were, were lined up by the guard and the shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels and he, he, he turned in rage to the 20 prisoners demanding to know which one did not bring their shovel back. No one responded. The guard took out his gun and said that he would, he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. After a moment of, of tense silence, a, a 19-year-old soldier stepped forward with his head bowed down. The guard grabbed him, took him to the side and shot him in the head. And turned to warn the others that they better not, they better be careful. When, the, when he left, the guard left, the men counted the shovels, and there were 20. The guard had miscounted. And the boy had given his life for his friends. Can you imagine the emotions that must have filled their hearts as they knelt down over his body? In the five or the the ten seconds of silence, the boy had weighed his whole future in the balance. A future wife, education, children, a career, fishing with his dad. And he chose death so that others might live. 
Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. To love is to choose suffering for the sake of another. And this is how Jesus has loved you. Only oh so much more. Consider the life he laid down. One of the reasons that this story we just, I just shared hits us so hard is because the boy was 19 years old. If he had been 89, 89 years old and all the others had been 19, we might say, well, that was a beautiful act of love. But with a, a full life behind him, it wouldn't feel like the same kind of sacrifice. He would sacrificed a whole life. So consider the life of Jesus sacrificed for you. First of all, he was young also. He was about 33 years old. His ministry was only three years old. He was cut off, as we say, from, from his prime. Second, he, he was the oldest son of a, a widowed mother. One of, the, one of his last acts of his life was to see that she was taken care of. When Jesus saw, John chapter 19 says, when Jesus saw his mother, this is from the cross, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to him, Mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. The life he was giving up uh, for you was young, and from a human standpoint, it was a life needed by his mother. Third, he was the most kind and caring and wise and courageous man who ever lived. Peter wrote, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Even as the enemies knew they could find no fault in him, Pilate said, I, I find no fault in him. So the life he gave up was no ordinary human life, which would be great enough. It was a sinless, perfect life. This life of all the lives that have ever lived was the most valuable life. The most worthy of living and the least worthy of dying. This is the life he gave for you that you might live. Fourth, he was the Son of God, which means he was God as well as man. Along with his human nature was a divine nature. The value of his life was not just superior to other human lives. His life was of infinite value. Not the way other humans are of value, but the way God is of infinite value, namely as the basis of all human value. We only have value because of God. Humans have value to the degree that we reflect the image of God. But that means that, that if we, the image, have so much value, how much value does the original have? With this life, Jesus went to the cross for you. This is how much it costs to cover our sins against the holiness of God. And He paid it willingly so you could live. Fifth, as the Son of God, Jesus was supremely loved by His Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 17. God says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Suppose that 19-year-old prisoner, prisoner of war, was, was actually the son of the President of the United States. And he knew that there were powers available to him to escape not only the death he died, but, but also from the prison camp. And suppose that you find out that his father, the president, not only had a massive love for the boy, but 
but also approved of His dying for you. And then He wanted to meet you. To meet those of whom his, for whom His Son died. And, and to give you the boy's inheritance. Would not the, the worth of that life be so unspeakably precious as to make you feel absolutely overwhelmed with love? Well, that's what happened. And consider now not only the, the, the life that Jesus sacrificed for us, but, but consider also what that sacrifice involved. John Piper put it this way. To get to the point where he could die, Jesus had to plan for it. He left the glory of heaven and took on human nature so that he could hunger and get weary and in the end suffer and die. The incarnation, the, the, his coming, was preparation of the, the nerve endings for the nails of the cross. Jesus needed a broad human back for the place to be scourged. He needed a brow and a skull as a place for the thorns. He needed cheeks for Judas's kiss and the soldier's spit. He needed hands and feet for spikes. He needed a side as a place for the sword to pierce. He needed a brain and a spinal cord with, with no vinegar and gall so that he could feel the entire excruciating death for you. Uh, the, the 19-year-old boy was a wonderful picture of sacrificial love, but, but compared to Jesus, it's only a picture. His death was quick and relatively painless. Jesus' death was one of the worst kinds of torture devised from human pa- for human pain. So when Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved you and gave Himself up for you, don't breeze over the words, gave Himself up. His love is great in proportion to the, the costliness of His sacrifice. And His sacrifice was horrendous. So we should ask in closing, how personally should we take this sacrificial love of Christ? I want us to know that Jesus' love for you enables you to fulfill the law of love. It's explained in God's Word, but ultimately it's experienced by faith. Do you desire to personally feel loved by Jesus Christ? Not just now, not just in this moment, but later on today and, and tomorrow morning and every day that follows. Maybe you struggle Maybe you struggle to, to, to accept Christ's love. Maybe you believe you're not worthy of His love. Well, there's good reason for that. You're not. But there's good news for that as well. You and I are, are not worthy of the love of Christ, but the Bible declares that Christ loves us nonetheless. And to experience that love, To allow the love of Christ to enter into your heart, your soul, your being, and to transform your life, we we must have faith that His love is greater than our unworthiness. We've already seen it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. First, we have to have faith. We have to have faith that we are in Christ, that we died in Christ, that when Christ died, we died to our old self. And then we can experience the reality that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Second, you you must give yourself fully to Christ. Trust in Christ. And you can experience Christ's 
living through you once you give yourself to Him. How? By faith. By trusting that you're loved by Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, Paul goes on to write, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. As we continue to live in this world, in in this flesh, we must live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved you, and gave Himself up for you, for me. As we see through the Word of God the depth and the breadth of Christ's love for us, we must trust in Him. That's our part. That's our step. That, that has to be our reaction to His love. We must trust in His love for us. We must trust in His death for us. And we must allow that love to control us to such an extent that we no longer live for ourselves. But instead, we live by faith in Christ, that we live for Christ. We live for the one who loved us enough to die for our sake. We live out his love because he first loved us. It's my prayer that that we as individuals and as a people could by faith know and experience the sacrificial love that Christ has for us. That we can experience that in our lives. That we might fulfill the the law of love. That we might love like no other. That we might love like Christ. That we might be controlled by the love of Christ. Loving God and loving people in ways that we would have never considered. And if that's your desire, to experience the love of Christ, to be controlled and directed and compelled by the love of Christ, then, then pray with me. I'll pray for us. I'll pray for myself and for us that we would experience the love of Christ. And then that would be seen as we enter into this world and into relationship with one another. Father God, thank you so much. Lord, uh, take our blinders off. There's scales. There are, there's, there's past. There's the fact that we've heard this over and over that you love us. Take that away and replace it by a clear understanding of the depth of your love. Lord, help us to see you on that cross dying for our sake, receiving our punishment, receiving the wrath of God for us, and know the depth of your love in, our deepest, in the deepest parts of who we are. Lord, and use that. Use that to transform us, to change us, to make us to be more like Christ. Lord, that the love of Christ might control us, that we might be people who love, who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, who love our neighbor as ourselves, who love like Christ. For it's in his name.